Hey there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast. I'm your host, Marisha, and November is Curriculum-Based Therapy Month for us here at SLP Now. Um, So we're going to spend the entire month sharing tips and tricks to help you implement curriculum-based therapy Um, And we'll be doing that here on the podcast, on our social media accounts, like on Facebook and Instagram. Um, And we'll also be sending out some email content. So if you want to, if you're excited about learning more about curriculum-based therapy and you want to follow along, head to slpnow.com slash cbt. So that's CBT for curriculum-based therapy. Um, And that's where you'll find links to all of the content that we're creating this month, Um, and yeah, I'd love to have you follow along and you'll also find a link to the speech therapy PD course. So if you, you have the option to listen to all three podcast episodes this month and log into speech therapy PD to apply for ASHA CEUs. Um, and you can find more information about that, like the link to their site in the show notes, if you're interested in earning official CEUs. And so without further ado, let's dive into this week's content. Let's dive into some therapy planning ideas. Making this happen with our caseload. Um, And so before we dive into the actual therapy plans, um, I wanted to share, because when I present on curriculum-based therapy, I get a lot of questions about the goals and um, I was confused about this at first because it's like we're just targeting the students goals in the context of like in using the curriculum as the context and so we could target essentially any goal with that Um, but I realized that some speech therapists were writing, like they were approaching goal writing in a different way. And so it was harder for them to make that match. Um, And so um, I found that like starting with a thorough evaluation was incredibly helpful um, because some of these SLPs were writing goals based on formal language testing results, um, which is great. Uh, we definitely want to include formal testing in our evaluation. Um, it's oftentimes required, but we want to pull additional information and consider other pieces of data when we're writing our goals. We don't want to just write goals based on like the self subtest or whatever assessment we decide to use. Um, so some other things we can do are um, use curriculum based assessments. So Um, I used to use ones from Nicole Allison um, and then the speech Marine from the speech bubble had some that I used as well. Um, I also like SLP toolkit has some good curriculum based assessments as well. So just find a set of assessments or like a build a small library of curriculum based assessments that you can use. Um, because that can be incredibly informative. And those are nice. Like we do our formal testing typically every three years, um, but the curriculum-based assessments are nice to re-administer on a yearly basis. And it gives us some um, information about, like it helps inform our year-to-year goal writing as well as the overall um, goal writing. And then um, another thing 
that's incredibly, incredibly important is a language sample or multiple language samples. And if we have time at the end, um, I can share a quick overview of some time-saving tips. But if you can't find them, um, just Google like SLP Now language sample. And one of the first, like the first result that'll pop up will include an explanation of how I set that all up um, and how I make that happen without taking a ton of time because language samples can be um, very time consuming. But um, I found that like this, the system that I set up saved me a lot of time. Um, and some things that you can do, um, like I, a conversation sample is one that I like to grab just seeing how, like what language they use interacting with peers, but they, students use, or anyone really uses different language in different contexts. So I think it's incredibly interesting to get a conversation sample to see what their like informal speech is like. Um, but we can also get an, like a narrative sample, whether they're generating their own story or doing a retell or an expository sample where they're summarizing a text. This is especially interesting for older students or persuasion, like having them persuade you um, on like whether the school day should be five or 10 hours or whether summer break should be five months, whatever it is. Um, I. I built like a small set of language sample prompts, and then I was able to use those across students. And then there's not fabulous data to help us understand, especially as students get older. Um, you can get some um, like numerical data to pull from um, if you use like salt or something like that, um, but there's just not a whole lot to pull from. Um, and so I thought I found it really helpful to like I gave the same types of language samples across my caseload. So I got and I'd also like borrow some typical students to get an idea of just to calibrate my understanding and help me decide what warranted goals and what didn't. Um, so that was super helpful. Um, and then um, I'd observe in the classroom, that could be incredibly informative. Um, I would ask parents and teachers for input um, because I wanna know how the student is doing in the classroom and what they're noticing or how what parents are noticing at home. Um, I could connect with the students and see what their goals are. Um, like what do they wanna be when they grow up and just getting that buy-in and um, kind of at least trying to tie their goals to what they're like trying their speech and language goals to their personal goals if at all possible um, and then of course reviewing past progress um, so I would pull all of those elements into the evaluation and that helped that made it really easy to start figuring out which goals I wanted to target because I start started to see connections um, so like maybe I noticed, and it's interesting too, because it could help me rule in or rule out potential goal areas, or it would help me identify areas that I needed to probe a little bit more to figure out if it warranted a goal or not. Um, but for example, like some students would um, bomb like the grammar subtest 
Um, but when I gave them a language sample, like expository and persuasive language samples, their grammar was beautiful. Um, and so that told me that writing a grammar goal might not be the best option. It's something I, def I definitely would want to look into why they didn't perform well on the grammar subtest of the formal language test. Um, but if like they're, if I'm observing them in the classroom, their grammar is great and in the language samples, the work samples from the classroom, like those all indicate that the student has appropriate grammar, then that the test, like the result from that grammar subtest isn't necessarily very helpful. So we want to like, and usually when I get all of these different results, I start mapping it out. Like, oh, I noticed this as a area of need and this is a strength and then I just would write those out for each of the assessments that I gave and then I could kind of start to draw parallels and figure out okay this is what's going to help the student most like these are the goals that I'm going to focus on I'm going to support these things by providing like these accommodations or whatever it may be and it helped me come up with a really comprehensive um, and like a plan of attack that I could stand behind and that I could explain well. And then um, once that's all, once that was all mapped out, um, like we can look at that and we can decide, okay, so like story grammar is typically something that we can remediate pretty quickly, like students catch on to that um, and we can work through that quickly. Um, so maybe that is something that I would prioritize. Um, or, but maybe there's something that's really having a significant impact in the classroom and it's not as easy of a goal to target, but that's going, that's really, really important to that student because like they want to be a newscaster when they grow up or whatever it is. And so we can use all of these factors to determine like what's the highest priority, where are we going to focus our efforts, what are we going to do support, what are we going to offer supports for and kind of move through the goals that way. And I wish I had, hopefully those general suggestions are helpful. Um, I wish we had time to like dive into a couple full on case studies or whatnot, but that'll have to be another presentation. Um, and so knowing which target, we're going to compare data and select those appropriate targets like I talked about before. Um, and then we can, we can be strategic in what our target selection. So like I was saying, do we want something that we can remediate quickly or something that has a huge impact? What if there's some, like if there's something that is easy to remediate and has a significant impact, that'll be at the top of the list. And then if there's something that can be remediated quickly but doesn't have a significant impact, maybe that moves down the list a little bit. Or if there's something that has a significant impact and can't be remediated quickly, maybe that goes up just below the thing that. So we can work through it that way. Um, and then, so we know what we're targeting. We're solid on that. We've gotten feedback from the team. We have our multiple sources of data. And then we just need to start planning. Um, so like I said, we want to like share the goals with the teacher, um, decide which area, like which context we want to use. Are we using those math word problems? Are we using the ReadWorks articles? Are we pulling from the social studies text? Like whatever it may be. Um, and so I would just work with the teachers, identify those areas and get those organized. Um, and then, so that is the context of the therapy. 
but I need to do a little bit of work as a speech therapist to make sure that I have everything that I need to set my students up for success. Because I do have like that, like that glue for the therapy, but I need something um, to actually support the student's skills. So what I like to do, I mentioned this in pretty much every presentation, um, but I have a caseload at a glance sheet that I like to fill out, um, especially at the beginning of the year. And I go through all of my students' goals and add them to the caseload at a glance. And then I make sure to grab a, and so ideally we would just make sure, we would have, we would pull an assessment or a probe for each goal when we write the goal. Because when we write it, we should have a way to measure it. So in an ideal world, we would already have those all organized and ready to go. Um, but the caseload at a glance is just a good way to inventory and make sure we have a good way to measure every student's goals. And then we also want to have some teaching tools. Um, and so I strongly believe that we are our best therapy tool. Um, we could have the most beautiful speech room in the world, the most beautiful materials, but if we don't have um, like the evidence-based strategies and our clinical judgment and our knowledge um, to drive that therapy, it's it could be it's still a train wreck, even if we have all of these beautiful things. Um, so we are our best therapy tools. And so I like the caseload at a glance because it helps me go through and make sure like it's a check for me. Like, do I know how to teach this? Um, and so I might read like brush up on the evidence-based strategies that I can use to like teach that skill. Um, I also like to make sure if we do want to use multiple modalities, um, but visuals are huge um, for me. I think they really benefit our students. And so that's something I want to make sure that I have a visual for each skill. Um, and it sometimes it's a fancy laminated visual like from my membership site. Um, but other times it's just something that we draw on a sticky note or on a piece of paper and that ends up being the visual. But I like that case out at a glance because then that helps me prioritize. If there's 10 students working on categories and I don't feel like I have good visuals or good strategies to use to teach and support those skills, then I'm going to do some work on those on that area um, instead of like heavily focusing on a random goal that only one student has. And of course, I want to be able to do all of the goals well, but when we're feeling overwhelmed, it's nice to be able to prioritize and just by starting with the bigger impact chunks, it kind of just gives us that momentum to keep going through the rest of the list. Um, and so that's something that um, is huge. And I make sure to grab those visuals and make them organized and just make sure my head is straight with all of my strategies. Um, and then the next thing that I want to do is um, just make sure to communicate progress with teachers. Um, and so um, that might be in each teacher will have kind of different um, expectations or requests or just uh, patience with the communication. So a lot of times it would just be like I would just during the like whatever, and this is a little bit different with teletherapy, I suppose, but I would just like, 
I think if I were doing teletherapy now, I would just be connecting with the teachers via email. Um, and we can, like, we are problem solvers, so we can figure out a good way to um, go over that progress. Um, I might just set up a, like a monthly check-in or something. Um, but I, when I was in the schools, I would just make a list of the teachers that I wanted to check in with. Um, and then I would just knock out a couple every week. Like I just try and connect and with some, like you get into your communication rhythm. So like Mrs. Smith is always in the copy room on Monday morning. Um, and maybe Monday morning's not a good time to connect, but we always run into each other. And so we can just do a quick exchange there. And then just kind of building that into the routines and making sure that we're communicating that regularly with teachers. Um, and it was easy to share progress when something big happened, like a big success. Um, I would just mo be motivated to share that with them, whether it's like a quick email or a quick call. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then if I was struggling, that was also a good indicator to check in um, because then we could kind of work together and problem solve. So that's what we've got there. And then um, we don't have a ton of time to dive into all of the therapy routine details, but my basic routine that ended up working well for curriculum-based therapy when I'm in the therapy room, this it's a little different when I'm in the classroom, like the routine changes. But when a student comes into my therapy room, I have them review their goals. Um, and so we just go through their goal cards I just have them write their goal in their own words, and oftentimes they write why it's important to them. Um, and then we just go through those, and then at the same time, I collect a quick probe. Um, so that lets me know how the student is doing on one skill. Each student gets probed with one skill. Um, and then I can know how the student is coming into the session, and it gives me an idea for how much support, or it gives me an idea of how much support the student will need to be successful with that skill. So if we're working on categories um, and they scored like 0% accuracy, I am going to, before diving into like the category vocabulary journal, I'm gonna take a step back, explain what the categories are, do some like simple examples or whatever makes sense um, and do some like pre-teaching and all of that um, before we dive into the actual activity. And so it just keeps me informed. But if the student is at 100% accuracy, I'm going to push them a little bit and see how they can do in context, context with less support. So that's just an example of how that would work. And then I would just move through whatever materials we're using. Um, so I would use, like, if we're using a, a text, um, we would move through the literacy-based therapy framework. And I have other courses that dive into that in more detail. Um, or if we're using like the math word problem example, we would just do like, we would do whatever teaching we, we needed to do for like specific skills or like pre-teaching vocabulary, reteaching um, what the skill is, and then diving into that word problem and breaking it apart. And that's something that even that took several sessions to break down. So that's just a quick breakdown of what that therapy routine could look like. Um, okay, and then um, just quick breakdown, like students come in, we review the goal cards, um, we pick one primary target. I, 
I personally like to collect a quick probe or like just to see where the student, how the student is doing with that skill without any support. Um, and then I do, like I grab the visuals that would be needed and make sure to do any pre-teaching or review as we dive into the unit. Um, and then at the end of the session, I just wrap up and do a quick narrative summary of like the supports that I provided. Um, and then I enter the probe data in real time. So I have those accurate numbers. And then the last thing we wanted to talk about is just being therapeutic in the context of therapy um, or curriculum-based therapy. Um, and I just have this quote uh, to kind of drive this point home. Um, it's by Dr. Erin, and she says, I have been advocating that SLPs engage in curriculum-relevant therapy um, and that they use the curriculum as a context for language, but not try to teach the curriculum per se, because we are, and this is me adding this in, but we are not tutors, um, and we are focusing on the language processes and underpinnings. So that is our role. We are not trying to keep up with the classroom. So um, if the teacher sends me a word, like five word problems a week, I might do one every two weeks or three weeks, whatever, however much time I need to dive into the article, the word problem, whatever it may be. I go at the student's pace. I'm there for the students. I'm not trying to keep up with the curriculum. So that is one huge lesson. Um, like I remember trying to support, um, one of the teachers wanted me to support uh, a book that they were reading. It was a chapter book and they read a crazy amount every day or every week. They had multiple reading assignments and I just could not keep up and I was trying to and it was frustrating, but we do not keep up. We go at the student's pace, we're teaching, we're using the materials as like the context for therapy but we're not trying to keep up with the classroom. So we are trying to teach these skills, not completing assignments. Um, and then one framework that has been incredibly helpful in navigating this is um, like Dr. Ukranitz's RISE framework. And so I use this as a check for myself. If I feel like, oh, I'm such a tutor, <laughs> this was such a tutoring session, or if I just am not feeling good about how the session went, it will take a deep breath first. And then I'll go through the framework and check and ask myself how the session went based on these four criteria. So she says one, or R stands for repeated opportunities. So um, in order to like really be therapeutic and teach a skill, like if we're working on categories and we're just completing a worksheet assignment and there's one category question, but the rest are something completely different, like that's not enough repeated opportunities. If we're working on categories with a student, we need to give them like multiple exemplars and really dive into that. The I stands for intensive schedule. So this is something we decide when we write the IEP typically, but we want to make sure that we are that the students are getting enough intensity. So whether it's um, 10 minutes three times a week or 30 minutes twice a week, whatever they need, we can adjust that. So if it, this is typically when, if a student isn't making progress, it's something I might evaluate. 
The other piece is systematic support and scaffolding. And last month, we talked all about that. Um, so if you want to check out last month's podcast episodes or last month's course, you'll find lots and lots of, lots of examples there. And then the E stands for explicit focus. So this is why I have goal cards for all of my students, um, because I want to make sure that they know what they're working on. And I just focus on one typically just one goal a session. I might target other skills because I just can't turn it off like with my modeling and all of that, um, like vocabulary and recasting grammar and all of those strategies, but we have one main skill that we're focusing on. And then um, this allows us to, like this gives the students the opportunity to earn a, internalize the strategies and skills instead of us just like providing them with tons and tons of support and they never take ownership of it. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in um, and be sure to head to slpnow.com CBT to access the show notes and other relevant links. And we'll see you next time. Have a great week.